Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to episode 220 of Sexology Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. We are doing a giveaway for this month to celebrate Women's History Month. You can find the information on how to enter to get for this giveaway in our show notes. We're giving away a $200 worth box by Little Kitten. So if you are interested, make sure you enter for this giveaway. Today, we're going to talk about how you can have wonderful sexual experiences after cancer. We're going to talk about how sexual health for cancer can become a lost priority. And we're going to talk about how you can rewrite your sexual script, if that's something that you're interested in. Our guest is Dr. Ann Katz. Dr. Katz is the certified sexuality counselor and clinical nurse specialist at Cancer Care. Dr. Katz is immediate past editor of the Oncology Nursing Forum, the premier research journal of Oncology Nursing Society. She's also the author of 14 books for healthcare providers and healthcare consumers on the topic of illness and sexuality, as well as cancer survivorships. In order to read her full bio, make sure you're checking out our show notes. Before we go to our interview, I wanted to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor this month is omgs.com. Most of us agree that sexual pleasure is good for us and as it gets better and better with more knowledge. Interestingly though, even many sex positive people seldom seek out new knowledge about their or their partner's pleasure, something that's very excited about OMGS website is that they partnered with scientists at Indiana University researchers ask tens of thousands of people what they discovered is most pleasurable for them. And they find the patterns and share techniques, naming many for the first time, and turn all that wisdom into disarmingly straightforward and honest videos, animations, and data visualizations. My invitation for you is to definitely check it out. They offer discount to our listeners. So if you are interested, check out omgs.com slash sexology. That's omgs.com slash sexology. Also, if you're a certified nurse, clinicians, and therapists, you get a free personal access so you can see whether you want to recommend it to clients or not. If you're interested, email them. I'll include the email in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Anne Katz. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Anne Katz. Dr. Anne, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm very excited about this conversation. We had 
two episodes on sexuality around like after cancer, during cancer, all of those things. But it is such a important and needed topic that I continue to get more questions about it. So thank you so much for making yourself available to have this conversation. Thank you. I'm always uh, interested in talking about this and uh, it certainly serves as a way of promoting some of my books. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for writing those because I think everyone loves to talk about kind of novelty, fun things around sex, but many people are struggling with real issues after going through this life-changing experiences. So I think your, your work is really appreciated and needed. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that, that happens often is, first of all, this can be a really difficult topic for people to talk about, um, even to their partner and certainly to their healthcare providers and their friends and family. You know, often the, the response that they get is just be glad you're alive. And that's not living a full life. So, so yeah, you know, any way that I can get the word out and really help people to find the words to, to start talking about it. I'll, I'll take that opportunity. Well, uh, you brought up such an important point that people think, oh, you must be grateful because you survived this life-threatening situation. And it almost feels like not as important to address the sexuality piece, which which is so, and me and you both as a sex therapist, we know how important is sexuality for our all aspects of our life. So I'm kind of curious, how did you get interested in this field of work? Oh, it's a, it's a long, long and involved story. I'm a nurse by training. And after I finished my PhD, I went and did an intensive sex therapy program at the University of Guelph. And I had a very small private practice at the time. And, you know, honestly, sometimes it felt that, that the couples that I was seeing, if they would just talk to each other and be kind to each other, right? Their sexual problems were a reflection of the relationship and the problems in the relationship. So I really wanted to address a population that I felt, you know, had really been neglected. And I went and I looked in the literature and it became really clear to me that that cancer was an area where there was a lot of silence and a huge need. So I wrote a proposal, sent it to our local cancer center who basically said, come on down. I was full-time faculty at the university at the time and they allowed me one day a week as my faculty practice. And so that's how it started. And that turned out to be the only day that I felt like I was helping people. So long story short, after about two years, I actually moved full time to the cancer center. And this is this is what I do in addition to some other responsibilities as well. What a challenging and rewarding position to have, because I think it's just as a nurse, you've seen kind of the medical aspect of things. And now as a therapist, you're helping people to kind of address some other psychological challenges that they have. You know, what's interesting is I know that some sometimes, as you said, like in the midst of treatment, people are not necessarily focused on their sexual wellness, which at times is understandable. But what I've been able to see is like after the treatment is done, sometimes when people are trying to reassess different aspects of their life, they find themselves at a completely different place that they used to be when it relates to their sexuality. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So, you know, that's absolutely true. And really, you know, human beings are creatures of habit, right? People want to go back to the same level of sexual functioning as before. And that's often not possible. I do want to point out, though, that, you know, there are 
there are people who are sexual during treatment or sexually active during treatment, sometimes not because they want to, but because they have to. So there may be some coercion in the relationship. And I've seen this with a couple of women where they couldn't refuse their partner because of, you know, financial stability, etc. And that's not particularly easy to talk about or think about, right? But also, you know, there, there are people who want to remain sexually active, even if they don't feel well, because that's how they connect with their partner. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's a way of, of being alive and trying to retain that normality. But yes, this really does seem to be a survivorship issue. And often when people find out that I work in oncology, you know, they get that kind of pity look on their face. Oh, it must be so difficult. And I say, you know, to the contrary, by the time people come to see me, they've got through that trauma of diagnosis and treatment, and they just want to go back to being the way they were before. And actually, that's a really uplifting thing. Well, what a, a wonderful service that uh, you offer and the facility offer to help them to navigate their sexual wellness. And you're right that I, I haven't seen, I haven't worked with women who've been coerced in having sex, which I'm, I'm sure it's, it's some kind of type of a, uh, women that are ex- experiencing that. But I've seen women out of guilt, kind of like forcing themselves and saying that my partner needs this. Let me force myself to do it or let me do my best. And 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 I think that also can be an issue. Oh, absolutely. You know, he was so great. You know, he did this and he did that. And and yeah, absolutely. And then there is that guilt and that, you know, willingness to, to really not think about their own pleasure. And I really do see a lot of that, particularly for women after, who've been treated for breast cancer and women with gynecologic or colorectal cancer, where they've had radiation perhaps to the pelvis and they're experiencing real dryness and perhaps not using, well, always not using a decent lubricant. I, you know, I can't believe how many people are still using KY jelly. Uh, it's just a terrible lubricant and there are gynecologists and oncologists recommending it. And, you know, so yeah, they're, you know, they're not getting any kind of enjoyment. In fact, some, you know, sometimes I hear stories like it feels like I'm being stabbed by a knife and, and real, you know, and real suffering. Right. Right. And as, as I'm sure you talk about it, even if you want to be a willing and a kind of giving partner during these process, there are so many different ways that you can be sexual. That doesn't put you in pain. So I think it's important for people to adjust that mentality. And uh, I hear that the pain also, kind of painful penetration piece, is is common among survivors. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So, so for women, lubrication comes from the effects of estrogen on the tiny blood vessels supplying the tissues of the vagina and vulva. And I think that's really important. I never just talk about you know, vaginal dryness, it's often really vulval dryness or just at the entrance to the vagina. So, so you know, chemotherapy is going to, to really shut down the ovaries of a premenopausal woman. And most of our estrogen comes from the ovaries. Certainly radiation to the pelvis is going to, to really destroy those tiny blood vessels. Um, and then also we have those, the medications like tamoxifen and the aromatase inhibitors that women are prescribed for five, 10, maybe more as we move along, uh, years to prevent a recurrence. And those really either block or stop the production of estrogen. So yeah, so vulvo vaginal dryness is extremely common and it causes extreme pain for most women. 
you know, the other thing is that that it's often really difficult for couples to move from what they have been used to doing, right? You know, sex on Saturday night at 10 o'clock, whatever their usual sexual script is, and to really, you know, to, to think about non-penetrative activities. And I stress that a lot. But, you know, people are people and what's been working for 20, 30 or 40 more years, that's what they think is normal. You know, they've forgotten how much fun it was perhaps when, you know, all the kissing and canoodling that you do before you're in a sexual relationship with someone. I mean, that's just so exciting and so much fun. But it's, you know, it's difficult often to just move the needle on that. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, that it is challenging when you use to identify as a person who was very sexual and you were kind of like were able to have sex on demand. Now you have to kind of prepare for it, create a mentality around that. So that feels also like a significant loss. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think it's Peggy Kleinplatz who, who talks about how, you know, everyone wants sex to be spontaneous. But, you know, when you think about it in terms of, well, you know, should we go out for dinner next Wednesday night? Where shall we go? What does the menu look like? You know, all that anticipation. You know, they don't, people often don't think about that in terms of, of sex, right? Sometimes the planning is half the fun. <laughs> I like that reframing. And yeah. I think it helped people to be intentional about it. So if you're thinking about, okay, we're going to have sex like that this particular time and we're preparing for it and we're doing all of this thing, you can kind of make sure that you, you're adding things that you like. So that, that could be a possibility. But also you mentioned about kind of real changes that happens in, in people's body. As you mentioned that many women that even younger women that they go through treatment that they, they can experience things that some women that they're experiencing during menopause or post-menopause and that, that impacts their kind of self-identity. So when it comes to painful things like painful penetration, and I know that sometimes people who are not in treatment take number of different medication, kind of use different kinds of cream, all those kind of things that helps them. Is there any usual kind of safe kind of medical route that people can take to address that? It all depends on the cancer and the, and the, you know, specific makeup of the cancer. So, for example, for a woman with gynecologic cancer that is often not hormonally dependent, those women, for example, can use a, a, a local estrogen, which comes in cream ring or little intravaginal tablets. Women with who've got a hormone-dependent breast cancer are often told that they cannot use that, even though there's really very little systemic absorption. That's a discussion that the woman needs to have uh, with her oncologist and, and with a gynecologist as well. But there are many, many cancers, you know, where it is safe, particularly to use some local estrogen, because that's the only thing that's really going to help with that kind of dryness. Moisturizers and lubricants, etc., they're, they're Band-Aid, you know, solutions. They're not the real solution. The other thing that, you know, I see a lot of, particularly in women, is the issue of body image. And, you know, what often happens is that, that other people are saying to them, you look fantastic, right? Which doesn't help if you're feeling terrible. And we're increasingly aware of the role of breast sensuality in a woman's sexual response. So women with breast cancer who, who, are going to have a mastectomy will often choose to have bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction because they want the symmetry or, you know, the aesthetic look. 
which doesn't always happen, but it really removes the all the pleasurable sensations of, of the breast. And that's what we talk about when we talk about breast sensuality. And we're increasingly recognizing this. And perhaps more important, plastic surgeons and breast surgeons are beginning to, to realize this. And and, you know, so I think that that discussion about, you know, if you choose to have bilateral mastectomy, this is what you're going to lose. It's just, you know, it's very difficult to have these kinds of conversations with women when they've essentially just heard that they have breast cancer. They're terrified that they're not going to survive this. They're thinking about their children and their partner, you know, perhaps their parents, you know, so they're just they just want to they just want to survive this. And really, they're prepared to sacrifice anything. And then, you know, three, six months later, it comes as a huge shock when that source of pleasure is no longer there. And, you know, we tend to have these conversations, maybe in depth, but fairly quickly. And at a time when perhaps the woman just really cannot make a truly informed decision because she's so terrified and traumatized. Well, and I've certainly heard women that they got the double mastectomy and they waited to get the second part of the surgery. So, so they are at a kind of a more clear place about what they want because they know that even outcome can divide. But you're right that in that moment, it doesn't seem understandably the most important aspect of this process. But you're right that it comes in a kind of spectrum of challenges that women experience. For some women, their sexuality and sensuality were very connected with their breasts and it was part of their identity. And I have clients that they didn't necessarily love their breasts, but you're right. The sensation was part of their, what they're turning them on. And now they feel, okay, I lost big part of this. Yeah. Is it possible to re kind of become re-familiar or kind of reconnected with our body to discover other erogenous zones after we're done with cancer? Absolutely. But it's a long term process. And, you know, it gets mixed in with regret and guilt. And, and, you know, for some women, I mean, certainly their breasts never, ever become responsive to trust, to touch again. The other thing that I see a lot of is that certainly for the, the period, and sometimes it can be months or years after reconstruction, they don't have nipples and areoli. So what they have is a breast mound. I call them Barbie breasts. They're, <laughs> they're often inconsistent with a woman's age, right? Uh, you know, a 60-year-old woman really shouldn't have upstanding breasts. And so for a lot of women, that absence, particularly of the areola, is very, very important. And I actually encourage women to A, get 3D tattooing because the nipple reconstruction itself, they land up with erect nipples all the time. And many women don't like that. It, you know, it impacts on the kind of clothes they want to wear. So I often will say to women, you know, hold off on the nipple reconstruction. Let's see what a 3D areola tattoo can do. And there are some tattoo artists who are just phenomenal and do such a great job. Um, and that I find is a real game changer for women in terms of, of body image. I agree with you. And I think more importantly is like no one having this conversation with people. How would you know, even as a provider that I've seen cancer survivors, some of this information that you're sharing with me is new. 
So I think it's important to go to people who are familiar with this process and also understanding of the importance of one's sexuality. So I guess the other thought I have about this this kind of like transition is, is it possible for women to have, like if they lost their orgasm, to re regain it? Is there any kind of like a specific training that they can go to? Is there resources around that? Well, you know, I think that the, you know, orgasms are, is a, is a complex, complex issue. You know, but one of the things that I find really helpful is using a vibrator externally, because often there's this negative, you know, loop in the thought loop in their brain about, I don't look the same. I've got these scars, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that really gets in the way. So, you know, I encourage patients, you know, A, they've got to use a decent lubricant. Silicone lubricants actually are, I think, the, the best. They stay slippery the longest. They're not absorbed in any way. They really are quite inert. And then I talk to them about getting a vibrator and really using it by themselves initially just to figure out what feels good. And generally, you know, the intensity of the vibration will often override those negative thoughts and, and that negative self-talk. And then certainly to incorporate it into, you know, activity with their, with their partner. You know, if the partners are male, um, many men don't know that they can actually use a vibrator as well. And I talk a lot to to my male patients, many of whom have had a radical prostatectomy or surgery for colorectal cancer. And you know, it's it's kind of amusing when I mention it to them. There's this sort of look on their face, like, is she from Mars? And probably, but uh, you know, that that intense stimulation uh, can really be helpful. I like that, that you're talking about using strategies and tools that can help you to experience more intense stimulation at times. And you know, what's interesting is at times my, my clients kind of tell me, no, I don't want to do that. Like I think the challenge is that people at times are kind of fixated on the idea of I must have the same sex that I had with my partner before. And as you mentioned, sometimes it's it's not even possible anymore. And it's important to think about other tools and strategies. Yeah. And, you know, I really, you know, I've been doing this for almost 20 years with this particular population. And, and honestly, the couples who are able to move on with a sexually satisfying life are those who are mentally flexible, right? Who are, who don't have those really entrenched sexual scripts, who are prepared to experiment a little bit. I use a lot of sensate focus exercises with couples, you know, but once again, that's a challenge, right? You know, it's, it's a time commitment, it's effort. And people often want to just kind of rush through things and, you know, sort of trying to keep them focused on, you know, also, I think the most important thing with, with sensate focus is it's actually not about your partner, it's about what you are feeling. And people just can't seem to get that. Well, I love sensate focus therapy. I feel like those exercises are really effective if people are doing it. At times, make joke of it can be a broccoli of <laughs> all sorts of kind of like sexual play, but it can be very meaningful for our listeners that might not be familiar with the sensate focus exercises. Can you briefly tell us about that? Sure. So it's a series of exercises that the couple does together that really starts off with non-erotic and 
non-sexual touch, and then you proceed through stages. Uh, the last stage involves penetration, but you don't have to get there. It really isn't that goal-oriented. As I said before, the focus is on what you are feeling when you are stroking your partner's face or hand or back or whatever. It's really about the sensations that you perceive. The thing that I find really helpful with, about sensate focus with this population is because certainly initially it takes intercourse off the table for for women in particular that is a huge huge relief sometimes for men as well particularly men who are not able to have erections after for example prostate cancer surgery you know they are they they are under such pressure and you know performance anxiety and you know every kind of you know emotional pressure that you can imagine to perform and so this really does allow them often to tune into an aspect of their own sexuality that that they haven't really you know involved for a really long time because they've been so focused on penis in vaginal penis in anus sex Absolutely. And I see the same pattern for all sorts of couples that they got stuck in this loop of negative sexual experiences. Sensate focus exercise can give them a reset of like, let's reset and see what we can do differently and how can we connect with our bodies. So since we're toward the end of our time, if there are survivors that are listening to this episode, they're thinking about, I, I don't want to have kind of this sexual experiences. I want to kind of start focusing on myself, kind of like if someone haven't addressed it yet. What are some of their first steps that you recommend this women to take? You know, I think certainly talking to somebody, to a professional, it's really hard to talk to, to you know, a, a female friend or, or a family member because there's, you know, there's, there's lots of emotion and, 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 you know, people don't say necessarily say the right thing. That's often where you, you know, you hear that, be glad you're alive. Why are you bothering with this stuff? Certainly getting some professional help can be helpful. And then, you know, bibliotherapy, right? Read some books. I've just actually published the revised edition of Woman Cancer Sex, which is a book for women who've had all kinds of cancer. There's a companion, Man Cancer Sex, as well. And, and these books are accessible. They really tell stories with evidence-based guidance uh, in a really accessible format. So thank you for allowing me to, <laughs> to promote that a little bit. And, you know, but I think the most important thing is, is being able to talk to somebody, you know, who can normalize and validate what they're going through because people often feel really alone. Nobody's talking about it, right? Their oncologist is not talking about it. The nurse or the radiation therapist is not necessarily talking about it. And so frequently women come to see me and they say, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. Have you ever heard anybody else have that? It's, you know, it's, it's a universal experience. And I certainly wouldn't tell someone, oh no, that's the first time I've, I've ever heard it, even if it is. But there certainly are, you know, a lot of commonalities of, of experience. Absolutely. And I, my, uh, my invitation for listeners uh, is that definitely hopefully talk to a therapist or sex therapist or sex educator about these things. Because I know that sometimes I, I work with lots of physicians, I have physician friends, and I know because they haven't had experiences and trainings in addressing these things, they, they don't feel well equipped. So maybe 
maybe they their kind of discomfort and lack of knowledge will will appear during this conversation. It's definitely not your fault. They just don't have the information. So things like your book can be a great resource. Yeah, and I've written books for healthcare providers as well. And certainly pre-COVID, you know, I was traveling two to three times a month, generally educating healthcare professionals about how to talk about this. And, you know, most of the time, all you have to do is ask the question and then just sit back and listen, right? So that the patient has a voice and the patient, and you learn from the patient as well. So yeah, there is, you know, there isn't adequate education. One thing I would say though, is that, you know, if you are if you are going to see a counselor or a therapist or an educator, it's really important to ask them if they have experience working with people with cancer, because sometimes if they don't, uh, they really may not give you particularly good advice. You know, a woman with low libido because of body image issues or something related to the cancer treatment may not respond well to low to directional advice about low libido with someone who hasn't been through cancer or any other illness for that matter. So, you know, just a little bit of a caution there. Find someone with experience. Absolutely. And interview people, because as you said, that there are a galaxy of people out there that they might claim that that's their expertise. But there are, as you said, there are a few people that I have the knowledge and information to support women and men in this process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that you have your own podcast. You, you authored many books and publications. So tell us more about some of those offering books and publications that you have. Sure. So I actually have a website, which is Dr. Anne cats.com. It's Anne with an E because that's the only kind of Anne. So D-R-A-N-N-E-K-A-T-Z.com. So I, all my books are there. So woman cancer sex, man cancer sex. I've also written a couple of books for young adults with cancer, one of which is called This Should Not Be Happening, Young Adults with Cancer. I've written some books, general books on cancer survivorship where sexuality is just a part of it. I just started my podcast, which is called Sexually Speaking with Dr. Ann Katz. It's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And, you know, before COVID, I, I traveled all over the world talking about this. I miss those days. <laughs> Me too. But it's wonderful that you have this great website that people can find the resources now, maybe get started with reading the book, listening to your podcast. And when you're available to travel, then they can get to see you in person. I also I also do some private counseling online and a link to that is is also on my on my website. So you know, today with Zoom and other ways of, of doing this by video, there's some advantages, but man, I miss pe seeing people in person. I really do. Yes, absolutely. I, can, I absolutely can relate to that. The information about the website will be in the show notes. So when if people didn't get a chance to write it down, it's available there. Thank you so much for being so generous with all of this wonderful information that you shared with us. And hopefully we'll see you in future. Thank you so much. I hope you guys found our conversation useful. I love that Dr. Katz talked about redefining our sexuality and kind of reintroducing things in our sexuality because sometimes it's not reasonable for us to expect to have the same kind of sexual experiences that we had prior to cancer. And it's really important often to 
rediscover your body and reconnect with pleasure and your sexuality might evolve throughout the process. One of the things that I am inviting you to do, if you happen to check out the OMG Yes website, our sponsors, they have very interesting videos on breathing. One of the things that they talk about is the importance of breathing correctly during sex and how you can increase your pleasure. In the video, they talk about how some people hold their breath consciously or unconsciously, and they have tips on how you can make sure you're breathing correctly during sex. For the giveaway I mentioned during at the beginning of the episode, we're giving away a signature box valued $200 by Like a Kitten. What you can do to enter for this giveaway is to take it, write us a review in iTunes, take a snapshot of it, and follow me on Instagram. My handle is at Sexology Podcast, and you will enter for the giveaway. I love this box. It's full of really, really fun stuff. I like it so much that I, I wanted to keep it for myself, but but we only have one box. So I, I want to gi- uh, gift it to you. So if you write a review, you get one point. If you share our latest episode during this month and tag us in your story, you will get another point. I'll do the giveaway at the end of the March. So you have next couple of weeks to do it. And I will announce the winner in our newsletter at the end of the month. So I hope you guys consider entering for this giveaway and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.